Welcome to Everything Nonprofit, a podcast where we reveal the secrets, tips, and tricks for leading a nonprofit. My name is Carmen. And I'm Kayla. As nonprofit founders, we know firsthand how challenging and overwhelming it can be to build a nonprofit from the ground up. This is a podcast for nonprofit executives by nonprofit executives. If you need advice on starting your own nonprofit organization, or looking to expand your knowledge of nonprofit operations, stay tuned. Before we get started with today's episode, please note that the material in this interview is solely for informational purposes. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult a tax, legal, or accounting advisor before engaging in any transaction. Today, we're speaking with Valerie Sussman about legal issues unique to nonprofit and charitable organizations. Valerie is a nonprofit lawyer specializing in advising 501c3 public charities and private foundations, as well as a wide range of other tax-exempt entities including 501c6 professional organizations and trade associations. Among her 501c3 clients, she provides tax, corporate, and compliance counsel to educational, human service, arts, environmental, and religious organizations. In her work for foundations, Valerie crafts organizational documents such as bylaws and corporate policies and transactional documents, including grant award letters, and expenditure responsibility agreements for foreign grantees. As a chartered advisor in philanthropy, Valerie assists clients in attaining their charitable goals while maximizing their ability to give through the use of tax advantage strategies. Her expertise in estate planning and administration enabled her to work closely with clients on charitable planning, trusts, bequests, and on interpreting and revising charitable gift instruments. Valerie has particular experience in many of the life cycle events common to nonprofit organizations, including formation, attorney general compliance, reinstatement, and dissolution. She assists clients in the formation of organizations ranging from friends organizations to religious orders. She is a member of the Boston Bar Association, where she has presented seminars on topics related to tax updates and trust in estate law and the Boston Estate Planning Council, where she has served as chair of both the Women's Initiative and Education Committee, and is the co-chair of the Member Involvement Committee. Welcome to the show, Valerie. Thank you so much, Kayla and Carmen, for having me. I really appreciate it. Valerie, we're so excited to speak with you about this topic. We hope to break down this often complex topic in a way that will make it easy for our listeners to digest. Before we dive headfirst into our conversation, Can you tell us a little more about you and how you wound up specializing in this area of law? Sure, happy to. So it was a little bit of a circular path for me, definitely not a straight line, but um, for me, so I started off in the estate planning world. I knew that I kind of wanted to do a client counseling type of law. I knew I really didn't want to be a litigator. And so that's how I found myself in estate planning, which was terrific because you really do a lot of, you know, individual and family counseling. But when I was working at a large law firm in Boston, I ended up splitting my time with estate planning and also work for tax exempt organizations. And it was 
primarily formation work, which I found really exciting because you would have these, you know, young startups just getting off the ground. They need some help with their formation documents. We were really able to see them through, you know, from start to finish, kind of, you know, getting their documents filed with the IRS. And so I found that to be a really exciting part of my work. And I ended up looking for a role where I could do that, you know, just with 100% of my time instead of splitting my time. So I ended up being connected with um, Jeff Hurwitt, who is the founder of our firm, Hurwitt and Associates. Um, what I love about this firm is, you know, we really spend all of our time focused on nonprofits exclusively. And we really do, you know, work with these organizations, not just through the formation process, but all the life cycle events of an organization. So including governance matters, you know, dissolutions and all of that. And it's really been terrific working with all of our nonprofit clients. That's a fantastic answer, Valerie. And I see that you have a knack for music with your extensive education in it, specializing it in your undergrad and also did a master's in it. Was there a particular event that sparked you going into the legal field before doing all the estate work? As I find out where to be speaking with a musician as well as a lawyer. That's a great question. So I found that, so I did a lot of work in music education and I found that, you know, I really liked the human element of, of musical performance as well as education, but I realized that sort of piecing together a music career, you know, is not sort of the easiest, you know, there was sort of a lot of, you know, evening work, weekend work. And at a certain point, I realized that you know, going to law school would really help me pursue that human counseling element that I love about music and music education, but where I could really have a, a career where I could help people on a full-time basis. And so, you know, my husband's also a lawyer. I ended up sort of seeing what he was doing, working in civil rights and other areas. And I said, you know what, I really think I just want to go back and go to law school. So started my second career as a lawyer, and it's it's really been such a great path for me. And I'm really glad that I chose it. Yes, I know from my experience working in a law firm that lawyers never work evenings or weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny that, yeah, definitely there's this view about, you know, the legal practice going into it versus the reality. And I think the reality is we, we spend a lot of time, whether it's weekends or evenings, um, handling our clients' concerns and questions. But I think it's all elements that I love, you know, in terms of anything that comes up, it's always an interesting issue to target that I can use my brain and kind of help the client work through it. So I definitely don't mind those extra hours as well when needed. Yeah, for sure. If you have a passion for it, it doesn't seem like, like it's too bad. Um, and as I just mentioned, I do work for a law firm, even though I'm a project manager, I'm not a lawyer, but law firms need project managers too. So I have firsthand experience in coming into a law firm without a Juris Doctorate, and I know how confusing legal jargon can be. So how do you help break down complex legal topics in a way that is accessible to non-lawyers? It's such a great question. I think, you know, one of the things we try to do is, is with the documents themselves, the ones that we prepare, we try to create ones that are very flexible and also not full of legal jargon, like you said. You know, the idea is, you know, there's some legal keywords that you kind of have to use. For example, you know, um, when determining how to run your meetings as a board, you know, you have to talk about a quorum and voting. But instead of just using those words, we try to explain to clients what that really means, right? From a governance perspective, you want to understand how to operate your board. Um, day to day, and you don't want to just have this document placed in front of you where you're going through it and saying, I don't understand what any of this means on a practical level. So we usually have a follow up call, you know, after we draft some documents for a client, we'll talk with them about, you know, what are the quorum requirements? So how many directors need to be present for your meetings? Can you have your meetings virtually or in person? You know, what do you have to do to sign a consent document? And really, it's it, it's much simpler than it may seem. So, you know, essentially, we're going to try to walk people through that in everyday language, and we're not just going to sort of put something in front of them that's hard to understand. 
It sounds like you really put a lot of thought to making the law accessible to the organizations that you serve. And speaking of the clients that you serve, I'm sure there have been a number of topics that they have brought up to you. What have been some of the most common legal issues you see keep popping up from nonprofit organizations? Sure. So we see such a wide variety of issues, but I think one of the most common is board vacancies and what to do. So sometimes we'll have clients where they've had a solid board for a long time. Uh, all of a sudden someone needs to resign or maybe they need to be removed for some particular reason. And perhaps the client doesn't have a set of documents in place that provides any guidance as to what would be the procedures for resignation or removal. So they're sort of stuck in a situation where they're not sure if they need to appoint a new director. They're not sure if there's a certain number of directors that they're required to have. And they always want to be in compliance with both, you know, state and federal law. So we'll get a lot of questions about, you know, what, what do we do now? Or even sort of how to locate a new director to fill that role. So at times, you know, they can just reduce the size of their board potentially, or maybe their document is a little more structured and says they have to have five directors, in which case we can kind of guide them through the different options that exist in working through that situation. So I'd say one that's one of the most common questions we have. Um, another one is sort of questions related to tax exempt status. So we do have some clients that come to us who uh, were tax exempt, and then maybe at some point they've lost their status for certain reasons. That can happen if they don't file their forms 990 for a period of three years, or maybe they just had an accountant, the accountant perhaps didn't do all the things they were supposed to, and unfortunately the organization lost its status. So we often will help those organizations work through how to recover from that situation, maybe how to file for reinstatement of their tax exempt status, or if they don't want to do that and they want to dissolve, we'll guide them through that process as well. And with common legal issues, like what you said, board vacancies, does your firm or do you have a standard procedure to tackling them? So if we've drafted the documents, we try to make it very clear what happens in those in those instances. And for an organization that doesn't have documents, we'll try to get some good documents in place to make it clear. So that would usually be in the organization's bylaws. That would be the document that talks about what happens in the event of removal or resignation. And typically it may only involve just a, a notice, you know, email notice to someone on the board that the resignation has happened. And then they may need to elect a new director and all of those provisions can be sort of expanded upon. And, and the idea of good documents is really so the board has guidance going forward and how to handle these situations in the future, right? So even if there's something that's occurred, you know, they don't know the path forward, there's always a chance to get documents in place and get them adopted by the board to sort of recover from that situation and make sure that you have some guidance um, to bring you into the next year. So you have alluded to this a little bit, you know, we were just discussing what are some of the common issues that, that are brought to you. And you mentioned that sometimes there are things that people don't foresee. So if you didn't already cover them, are there other common legal topics or issues that nonprofits don't always foresee or that they fail to plan for? And where do you see both new and established nonprofit organizations go wrong when it comes to planning for these issues? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the issues we see a lot that, that may not be on people's radar is with a public charity, you know, there's something called the public support test that public charities are required to meet over a period of time. And usually with a good amount of fundraising, organizations can achieve that test and, and meet the IRS standards. Um, and there are a couple of options that they can use in terms of which tests to apply. But, but what happens is sometimes organizations won't be aware of that requirement. And so when you have a public charity that's, let's say they've been in existence for six or seven years and their fundraising comes to a standstill. We saw this a lot with COVID. You know, some organizations were doing really, really well. 
and then COVID hit, they couldn't really fundraise anymore for their programs because they just felt like their programs were at a standstill. Maybe they did a lot of in-person programming and the pandemic made it really hard to continue that. So you have some organizations where they've had a period of you know two or three years without a lot of fundraising or activity. And then what may happen next is the IRS sort of looks at their annual return for, for a couple of years. They may say, okay, you know what, this organization is no longer a public charity. They're actually a private foundation. So we call that tipping. And when that occurs, it can create a lot of tax implications for that organization, especially if they're not aware that they've now become a, a private foundation. And so we'll sometimes guide organizations through, you know, again, how to either reapply for their public charity status or to just help them with their fundraising program, because sometimes it just takes one or two grants to kind of get you to a better place in terms of public charity status and public support. So we can help with that as well. And it is a pretty common issue that we see that isn't always on clients' radar. And with that in mind, is there a particularly memorable case that you've spearheaded that you want to share with our listeners, of course, keeping in mind, you know, client lawyer confidentiality? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I don't know if this, this isn't exactly the same particular issue, but you were talking about new organizations and one of the struggles that they face. And so without getting too specific in terms of client information, one issue that we've also dealt with in addition to this public support question is questions about fiscal sponsorships. And if that's sort of a term that you're not familiar with, basically you can have a, a 501c3 public charity that's serving as a fiscal sponsor for a startup organization that doesn't have its own taxes and status. What it means is that you know, that program is kind of a, a project of this fiscal sponsor. They can um, raise funds through the fiscal sponsor and the fiscal sponsor can help them do some of the accounting for their organization. So one issue that we've seen time and time again, which is another one of those red flag issues that, you know, could create problems for organizations down the road is when they want to separate from their fiscal sponsor and become their own 501c3 public charity, it's really, really important to have an agreement in place that kind of sets out the terms of that separation. And this is an issue we've seen come up again and again with clients. It can lead to a lot of heartache if there are sort of hurt feelings or if there are issues with the relationship with the fiscal sponsor. And so that's an issue I think that I would say, you know, if I can give any advice about <laughs> how, to, how to handle things at the beginning of the life of an organization, if you're working with a fiscal sponsor to definitely solidify a written agreement there. Thanks for sharing that, Valerie. And I'm glad that we're able to give our listeners a heads up about issues like fiscal sponsorship. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers. Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers helps impactful non-for-profit organizations achieve their objectives by connecting them with skillful project managers who can aid them in crystallizing their visions, leading project teams, and deconstructing their goals into achievable milestones. This service is absolutely free and can help your nonprofit organization get the extra help it needs so that you can spend more time making a difference in the world and less time on administration. Visit pm-volunteers.org to request the assistance of a project manager 100% free of charge. No gimmicks, no catches, just one nonprofit helping another. It appears that your area of expertise seems to fall mostly in the realm of finance, specifically tax law. What nonprofit tax best practices should our listeners be aware of? Sure. So I think one of those would definitely be getting a great tax and nonprofit accountant to just make sure they're filing the returns on a correct and annual basis. When I say a correct basis, sometimes we've seen situations where the wrong box has been checked on an annual 990 and maybe 
that just sets a path where the IRS has the wrong information and can lead to a lot of problems. And we do find, you know, the IRS can be unpredictable, right? Sometimes you can solve a problem very quickly. Sometimes if you have the wrong box checked, you could be spending time on the phone with them for a year trying to get that corrected. So I'd say definitely getting an accountant that you trust who has nonprofit background. Another thing about returns, you know, the type of return you file may be different depending on the level of revenues you have. Some organizations start out with a simple postcard return, which can be very easy to do themselves. But then as they grow and develop, maybe they need to file a 990EZ. And at that point, it really does help to have an accountant on board to, to work them through that. So there could be different phases when your tax needs change. And just having the right people on staff to support you is very important. That's a good point. And we've talked extensively with other individuals we've had on the podcast about getting the right people on your team and, and how important that is. And we've definitely heard before that accounting is one of them. It's a good idea to get, get someone with a strong nonprofit accounting background on your board. I want to go back to, I'm so sorry, I don't actually know what the definition of a fiscal sponsor is. I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, so it tends to be a contractual arrangement, um, essentially where you have an existing public charity. There are organizations that are professional fiscal sponsors, meaning they may sponsor a whole bunch of different organizations. Then you have others that may do it sort of on a one-off basis where maybe there's a program that approaches them and they say, hey, we don't have 501c3 status right now, but we're starting this nonprofit idea and, you know, we want to raise funds, but we can't deduct those donors won't be able to deduct their, to deduct their contribution because we're not a 501c3 public charity. So they can kind of use the fiscal sponsor to help raise funds for that organization. You know, they, the donor can get their tax deduction through the fiscal sponsor because the fiscal sponsor is a 501c3 public charity. And the idea is there are some restricted funds within the fiscal sponsor that are going to be used for that particular program. So when donors are making a contribution, they're making a contribution to the fiscal sponsor for the purposes of that particular program and its charitable activities. Okay, great. Thank you. I really appreciate you explaining that a little bit more. Sure. So we've gone over a lot today, a lot in the realm of, of legal, and I really appreciate the knowledge that you've shared so far I may only be speaking for myself, but I personally feel like the topics around law can be pretty overwhelming. So if our listeners wanted to take away just one key piece of information from this podcast, say, you know, one soundbite, what would that be? I would say probably not to underestimate the usefulness of a really good set of corporate documents, meaning, you know, things like bylaws, a conflict of interest policy, and those sort of initial documents. I think a lot of our clients may rush through that in the beginning or, or not work with an attorney to draft those. And sometimes what happens is there's, first of all, not much guidance for the board in terms of, of how to act or what they need to do. And also there may be questions about meeting some of these state and federal requirements if you don't have certain terms in your documents. So I'd say, you know, that's really the groundwork of an organization is thinking about all of these provisions that will help guide them, you know, going into the future. And so I would say that's a really important part of the startup process for sure. And if a nonprofit was to work with your law firm, how does it typically pan out? Is it a lawyer from the law firm inserting themselves into the nonprofit? Or is it a team of lawyers from your firm working closely with the nonprofit? Sure, that's great. So, you know, we have a variety of approaches, but it's always a team approach, meaning, you know, whenever I have a client, you know, we use all the resources of our firm to address whatever their concerns may be. So, for example, 
you know, I do a lot of this sort of governance formation and some dissolution work as well. But if we get an employment question, we also have a team of employment attorneys who can handle some of those questions on behalf of a client. So we really see ourselves as sort of full service legal counsel, really through through any governance or life cycle issue for a nonprofit. And if there's something we don't know, we also have a lot of external advisors that we can rely upon to kind of find answers if, if they're sort of not within the realm of our expertise. And before we let you go, is there anything that you want to add that we haven't asked you about, Valerie? Um, no, I mean, I think it's so wonderful that um, that I can be here and hear what you're doing. And, and absolutely, you know, we look forward to, you know, working really with any nonprofit clients who need legal assistance. We do serve a variety of clients across the nation as well as abroad. And so, you know, really, you know, we're happy to hear more about what uh, different nonprofits are doing. And we love hearing more about startup organizations as well, which I know you, you work closely with. So really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And thank you again. Yeah, of course. We're super happy to have you. And if our listeners do want to find you, reach out to you personally, or perhaps work with your law firm, how do they get in contact with you or where can they find you on social media? Sure. So um, so we have a, a great website, herwittandassociates.com. And it also has a really great uh, legal resource database. I did want to mention sort of if you have questions about just generally the startup process, private foundation rules, we have a variety of materials on there that can also just serve as a resource to nonprofits, even if they don't want to work with an attorney at the time. We found that some clients find it very useful to just have that resource available to them. If they do want to work with us, um, anyone is welcome to email me. My email is just vsussman, so V-S-U-S-S-M-A-N at herwittassociates.com. Yeah, really would welcome anyone to email with just general questions that they may have. Excellent. We'll make sure to include those in our show notes. Valerie, we have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today. I'm sure I can speak for both of us when I say that we have learned a lot about legal considerations for nonprofit organizations. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on our podcast, Everything Nonprofit. Thank you so much, Carmen. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kayla. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.